0: Terms and conditions apply. Breaking down every game every day in Major League Baseball. This is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson.
2: A from the low. Welcome to Lovey Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson. Now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. We've got a great podcast for you guys. We're going to be joined in segment number two by one of our good friends, Ben Wilson, who does tremendous work here at the network. He, much like myself, is someone from the great state of Wisconsin, so you know we're going to dive in on the NL Central. We're going to be taking a look at today's starter for the Milwaukee Brewers and Urio why there might be a little bit of regression with him, and I am trying to be as polite as possible when I say a little bit of regression, but on top of that, we are going to be diving into what we're all going to be getting on Wednesday, just really the lay of the land in the NL Central and there is a particular matchup that he's got a live betting angle on, so he's going to join us in segment number two. By the way, if you're someone that's interested in college baseball and the College Baseball World Series, he's been doing a very good job for us at VSEN taking a look at all of that at Ben underscore Wilson underscore one. The number one is how you're able to follow him on Twitter for all that. And then in the final segment, I'm going to give you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MLB Wednesday as we touch them all. If you've got a question, comment, segment idea, what have you, for the spot, Podcasts. You do have one of two ASPO for those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at unit underscore eighty one. Keep in mind, letters M yeah. naming does not matter. As per usual, please send these into the timeline. Other ways find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast, buy that five star review. Dig get asked a question. When it comes to betting favorites versus underdogs, how do you go about this? Because There are some people that, if you see, like, a plus 120 number out there, this is the way that I personally do it. I lay, if your standard unit size is... $50. Fifty dollars. We're just speculating there. If your standard unit size is fifty dollars, you would lay the fifty dollars down on the underdog of plus one twenty to try to be able to get back your original fifty plus sixty. That's the way that I would go about it there. Meanwhile, if you're finding like a favorite on the money line of minus one ten, for instance, I would lay fifty five dollars to get back fifty. That is my personal way of doing it. I know that there are other people out there that. In the case of my example, they would lay the $50 on the favorite to get back less than $50 on the return. And then when it comes to the underdog pricing, they would bet a little bit less than $50 to be able to make $50 worth of profit. So there are different ways of being able to go about this, and I don't think either one is wrong. Just identify which one works out best for you. If you're a little bit more of an underdog player, perhaps you want to try to maximize those prices, Do what I was laying out where you lay down the flat bet of $50 and you get more than $50 back for a little bit more bang for your buck. Maybe if you're a little bit more of a favorites player, every single time lay $50 to get a little bit less back in profit. Different strokes for different folks. I do think that either way, it's going to make a small difference. So just identify what sort of a better you are personally. But I don't think that there's any particular right or wrong way because every better is their own individual. And betters find different forms of success betting in different ways, so do each their own on that front. So, hopefully that gave you guys a little bit of insight there, and if you've got further questions, at GUnit underscore 81 on Twitter, more than happy to answer those. Now let's take a look back at everything that we saw on this MLB Tuesday. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better.
0: Games for yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap.
2: Well, I write up the under in the St. Louis Cardinals versus Washington Nationals game, and that does not come through. So I'm going to need to go back to the drawing board after two straight losses and a three-game win streak. Now we've gotten a little bit cold, so i are going to look to bounce back here on Wednesday. 9-3, to the final as Involved in my handicap did not include three home runs from Paul DeYoung and Dylan Carlson. Carlson and goes deep twice for his fourth and fifth home runs of the season, both off of Mackenzie Gore and then on RV gives it up to Young his 11th home run season. Farvey gives up two runs in his inning. Thaddeus Ward gave up two runs in two innings and Mackenzie Gore got yeah, Gore giving up those two home runs Five runs in total over the course of six innings. Jordan Montgomery, by the way. The St. Louis Cardinals in his previous 12 starts have been 1-11. He was terrific. He gives up one run in seven innings. Drew Verhegan, Jake Woodford, they both get an inning. They both allow a run in the process. But Cardinals look to be getting a little bit more back on track. Four wins for them in NL Central, which... I don't know who wants it at this point as the Cubs. They took down the Pittsburgh Pirates by a count of 4-0. to zero. Tucker Barnard gets his first home run season, and Mike Dockman is second, as the Dockman home run comes off a bullpen piece, Tori Maretta, who gives up two runs over the course of his inning of work. He did have a scoreless inning out of Angel Perdomo along Cameron Mildozinski. For the starter, Johan Oviedo who gives up the other home run, and really didn't pitch bad. He gave up two runs over the course of six innings, but... Pirates could just do nothing on offense. Marcus Stroman, 7 scoreless innings. Mark Leiter Jr., Edbert Alsley. They both land a scoreless inning as well. You've got a very demonstrative underteam thus far this season with the Kansas City Royals as 56% of their games have gone under. And they played a 1-0 game against the Tigers as the Kansas City Royals get it done as they get a Matt Beattie double in the 6th inning. And that was all the scoring that they needed as Daniel Lynch was terrific. Gives up a one hit in 7 shutout innings. Roll Chapman Scott Barlow, scoreless from there, and for Michael Lorenzo, tough luck loser gives up one run over the course of six settings. Jason Shreve of Cicerno, they piece the meal together three scoreless of settings, but just does not come through. By the way, game from Monday because the game for Tuesday, in terms of the uh, San Francisco Giants and the San Diego Padres, that is going on as I do this. But in 10 innings, the Giants were able to come back from down four to zero and they got that win by kind of uh, seven to four. Mike Ustremski, a walk off home run, and yet uh, a home run. Prior in that game, that is home runs number 9 and 10 of the season. And you did have home run number 5 of the campaign for David Villares for the bullpen game of the San Francisco Giants. You had 5 innings from Keaton Wynn in a little bit of a long relief roll. He did allow a solo home run along the way as Wendy for the Padres. Juan Soto got his 12th and 13th home runs of the season, but he was terrific. You had Ryan Walker give up a run in an inning, giving up one of those home runs, and Jacob Junis gave up two runs in one and two-thirds innings. but for the Padres, less than savory here as Josh Hader did not get the call on this one. Michael Walker, and said he gave up two of those home runs in six innings, Tim middle two scoreless innings. but Luis Garcia gives up two runs in a third of an inning, and then Ray Kerr gives up that walk-off home run. So that's cleaning up what we all had on Monday, this is a game that is not yet final, but we know the result. The Boston Red Sox going into the ninth inning because I do have to record this before the Greg Peterson experience. That is from midnight to 3 Eastern on V-CIN every Monday through Friday out there on the East Coast, technically Sunday through Thursday on the West Coast as it's 9 to midnight out on the West. But that said, the Red Sox going into the ninth inning. They're up by a count of 10 to 2 on the Minnesota Twins. This game is as good as done. Cutter Crawford, five scoreless innings. Brandon Bernardino, scoreless saying. Corey Kluber has given up two runs in his two innings, including a home run to Byron Buxton as the length of the campaign. But the bullpen did not help out the Twins. Bailey Ober, I'm not saying it was a great start, but he gave up three runs in six innings. He did allow a loud pair of home runs. Adam Duvall gets his fifth home run of the season. Then you get home run number four of the season from Christian Arroyo. Masataka Yoshida, a little bit later on, he was able to get his eighth home run of the season as that came off of Oliver Ortega. Gave up two runs in an inning, but this was not terrific for Brent Hedrick. He gave up five runs over the course of an inning and. That's why the Minnesota Twins are going to have this one go straight down the toilet. The Atlanta Braves, they get it done by a count of 42 against the Philadelphia Phillies. Spencer Strider, he looked dominant once again. Now, he did give up eight hits in this one, but he punched out nine, gave up just one run, did a good job with B.L. men on base for the Phillies. 1-12 with men in scoring position, and Ranger Suarez, Duff luck, no decision. He gives up one run over the course of six innings. That one run, a solo run to Austin Riley, his 12th home run season in the medals, and Matt Olson. Home run number 21 of the campaign, as seems as though Andrew Vasquez might be seeing a little bit of regression coming his way. Gives up that home run in his two-thirds of an inning. Jeff Hoffman got four outs out of the bullpen. He allowed two runs, six losses. Dylan Covey, a scoreless setting in for the Baravos. A.J. Minter, Nick Anderson, both on a scoreless setting, and Rossio Iglesias gives up a one run in his inning of work, but is able to get it done. The Tampa Bay Rays fell down seven to zero very early on against the Baltimore Orioles, and I mean, it's a rare sighting when you see the Tampa Bay Rays lose because they entered in this game 31 and seven at home, but the Orioles playing on to dear life for a count of eight to six on the win. Kyle Bradish, relatively solid start. Eight punch outs, gives up two runs over the course of five innings. From there, Brian Baker and Mike Bauman try to gas can this game. They gave up a combined four runs while getting two of the bullpen. Danny Columby from there, though scoreless setting. And then, Junior Cano, Felix Batista, they combined for seven outs outside the bullpen scoreless. They both have a combined ERA of about one. Cano, 0.96 ERA. Felix Batista, 1.04 ERA. Meanwhile, for the Tampa Bay Rays, Tyler Glassow just got lit up like a Christmas tree. Gave up six runs in four and a third innings. All came in the first two innings as going deep off of him. You had Aaron Hicks, who has really found it in Baltimore. Fourth over season. You then from there, I have Anthony Santander get his 11th home run season. Then Ryan O'Hearn, he gets a 6th home run season off of Sean Armstrong, who gave up that home run in one and two-thirds settings. Jason Adams, Jake Diekman both his scoreless setting before Robert Stevenson allows a run in an inning of his own. The Toronto Blue Jays bounce back, and they get a 2-0 win against the Miami Marlins. Just nothing to them for the fish. Luis Arias now hitting a .398 for the season after he went one for four, and here Perez did his part. Six scoreless settings, very good outing there. Bullpen could not cling on. Tanner Scott gives up two runs and two thirds of an inning. Dylan Flora, squirrel setting. JT Chargois far outside the bullpen, squirrels, but bigger than the bullpen. They just couldn't hit Yusei Kikuchi. He gave up two hits, no walks, and six squirrel of settings. Yimi Garcia, squirrel setting. Eric Swanson, Tim Mesa, they piecemeal together a squirrel setting before Jordan Romano comes in, gets his 21st save of the season in a squirrel setting. And the New York Yankees, who have been struggling with their offense, and the Yankees. Now hitting at a little bit north of 56% to the under this year. They get it done against Seattle. 3-1 the final. George Kirby gives up three runs in seven innings, including a homer, as Billy McKinney gets his second home run of the campaign. No walks once again for George Kirby, by the way, as you then have a scoreless inning out of Ty Edcock. But for Seattle, not a lot doing on offense. Four total hits. Garrett Cole gives up one run in seven and a third innings before Clay Holmes gets a five-out save to get that one in. The Reds, they continue to stay white-hot. The Reds, I believe, have now won nine straight games, 8-6. to The final against the Colorado Rockies as Noah Davis got the surprise start. Kyle Freeland was dealing with a little bit of a tummy illness. I don't know exactly what it was. I just like to say tummy illness. But he gave up five runs over the course of four innings, including a pair of home runs. Going deep for the Reds. TJ Friedel He gets his fourth home run season. And then you have data Cruz get home run number two of the campaign. Will Benson from there gets a home run off of Peter Lambert. Second home run season. Lambert gives up three runs, two of which earned in three innings. And Brent Suter scoreless setting in. For the Rockies, they got some power going as it came from unlikely sources as well. Noah Jones his fifth home run of the season. And Harold Castro and Jorge Alfaro both got their first home runs of the season. As two of those home runs were given up by Ben Lively. He gave up two runs of over the course of four innings, from there, Alex Young, Fernando Cruz were both able to end a scoreless inning. You did have Alexis CS yes, give up a run in an inning and Daniel Duarte be able to land a scoreless inning as well, but Casey Lugamina gave up the other home run, giving up three runs over the course of his inning of work, but the Reds, may just continue to roll, and this is a bunch that they have been very hot and cold all season long, but the Astros, as I do this podcast, they're currently up by a count of 4-2 against the New York Mets. Justin Verlander has returned to Houston. Not so great. He gives up four runs over the course of seven innings, including a home run. Alex Bregman, who's been cold all year, gets his 10th home run season from Bervaldez, has completed eight innings, giving up two runs. So we shall see what happens there. But looking good on their front. This is a game that is going to be going over the total in all likelihood, 4-4. Four to four. The Rangers and the White Sox are currently in the seventh inning. Actually, I think that's already, over their total eyes. Dylan Cease gave up two runs over the course of his six innings, and then Keenan Middleton gave up two runs and didn't get a single out before Gregory Santos had to clean up his mess for the Sox. They've got a pair of home runs. Eli Ahmed's ninth home run season, and Elvis Andrews' the second home run season. Those both come off of Nathan Evaldi, who gave up four runs over the course of six innings. We'll see what the bullpen is able to do from there, and Adolos Garcia for the Rangers got his 16th home run season. That one came off of Dylan Cease. We're going to be talking a lot of Milwaukee Brewers action when it comes to when we get our good friend Ben Wilson on the podcast. But currently they're in the seventh inning and they are threatening against the Arizona Diamondbacks up by a count of six of five. It's for Arizona Ryan Nelson didn't do a terrible job. He gave up three runs over the course of five innings. Did allow a home run to Jesse Winker, his first home run season. And Colin Ray was not a ray of sunshine. It was a ray of poo-poo. Five runs, four of which earned. Give it up in five and a third innings, including a home run. From there, the bullpen has been able to hold it down as going deep for the years And tonight, IMX. Quetel Marte of the Marte Parte is 11th home run of the campaign, so we'll see what happens there. And the Oakland A's. Are now eleven and two in their last thirteen games on the run line. They lose again, but they lose by one run, three to two. The Guardians are able to pull this out in the tenth inning for Oakland. And Ken Waldachek as the opener goes one and two thirds innings scoreless, and Luis Matina second time all year in which he allowed fewer than three runs gives up just one run in four and third innings. Sam all gives up a run in an in innings. Shatero, Fujinami along with Sammy Long they combine for two scoreless innings before Trevor May gives up the unearned run in the tenth inning. And for Cleveland, very quality start here for Aaron Saval. He gives up two runs over the course of six and two thirds innings going deep off of them for the Oakland A's. Tony Kemp, his second arm around the season. From there, bullpen gets it on Emmanuel Classe Aniel de los Santos, Sam is all on squirrel ascending, and Trevor Steven. He was also able to get it out of the bullpen, and when it comes to LA Dodgers versus the LA Angels, that game is just getting going, so we're going to be cleaning that up on the podcast tomorrow, but if you're taking a look at the landscape of baseball right now, Favorites have been able to do a pretty solid job over the last seven days. This is with some results pending for Tuesday, but 53 and 35 over the last seven days on the money line, 60.2% with that regard. But they have had a little bit of a tougher time covering the run line as 13 of them have failed to be able to do so. Overs and unders, very equal. 41 overs of 40 unders over the last seven days. Over the last 30 days, it's been a little bit underwhelming. 192 unders, so 177 overs. That's 52% on that rate to the under. Meanwhile, for favorites, They've been hitting at right around 57.2%. A little bit cold as overall for the season, they're 58.5%, 218, and 163. are favorites over the last 30 days, but they've done a pretty solid job on the run line. All but 58 have been able to cover that run line. That's a pretty good rate. And overall for the season, favorites hitting at 58.4%, 632, and 450. Meanwhile, in terms of these favorites, We have now seen 167 different ones of them not be able to cover the run line and overall for the season. The under is sitting at 50.8%, 531 unders to 515 overs. So that's what we're seeing in baseball right now, and that's what we all got on Tuesday. Coming up next, we're going to be talking about the NL Central. We're going to be talking about the Brewers and so much more with our good friend Ben Wilson of VEASAN right here on the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now a part of the VEASAN Family Podcast.
3: Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of Select Can't Miss Events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notify, and Amex Card Member Benefits at Select Events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex.
1: I'm Katia Adler, host of the Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico.
0: Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball. This is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson.
2: And we're back here in Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. And it is always great to be joined by this man, as Ben Wilson, does absolutely amazing work here at the network. He does a little bit of everything. His play-by-play work is top-notch. He does it for some indoor football, college baseball, college basketball, I mean, if they offered him a chance to do women's flat track roller derby, I'm sure that he would knock that out of the park as (laughs) well. He does great work here at Visa with our live betting coverage throughout the weekends. I know that he does some work over on the Lombardi line as well. He's done great work with G League Unite and so much more. And to be able to follow Ben on Twitter, you're able to follow him at Ben underscore Wilson and underscore and then the number one all together. And Ben, it's always great to have you aboard. Thank you. Hey, women's roller derby. Sign me up, man. I, yes. I, I not say no to anything.
4: So thank you, as always, for having me, Greg.
2: Always a pleasure. And the reason I always bring up that joke is because that was the one thing that we always had going for us at UW Oshkosh. You'd be at the only university where you could call women's flat drag roller derby. That was an experience, to say the least. Mm-hmm. And, well, this is right now a not-so-great experience if you're a Milwaukee Brewers fan. Really... A fan of any of the five teams in the NL Central. This just feels like the division in which nobody really wants to win. Even the St. Louis Cardinals, who have been completely horrific, aren't completely out of it. But, boy, are they having a rough year. What do you make just out of the division race as a whole before we get into, let's call it what it is, the stinkitude of the Milwaukee Birds recently? Sure. okay,
4: It's pretty simple at this point. It's a division that can't stay out of its own way, and you have a combination of very, very young teams. Just look at what the cores are for now, let's ignore St. Louis because there's they're kind of in there off in an island right now with how disappointing, how lackluster that, that team has been. But think about how many just think about how many rookies and young players are being relied upon for the Milwaukee Brewers, the Cincinnati Reds, and that's the team everybody's talking about. Pittsburgh Pirates and the Chicago Cubs. They're all young cores, all in unique situations, but they all share a similarity, and that's they're they're trying to build forward with You know, a bunch of big name guys, at least in the case of, you say, the Cubs and the Brewers having been moved on from or traded over the last couple of years. And so it's created this interesting dynamic where I think as much as we want to sit here and complain, wow, this division is just awful. You know, there's some bright spots for pretty much every team you can point to. But the reality is when you are relying on so many young guys that are just unproven, have not gone through a 162-game season in the past, you're going to be streaky. You're going to have ups and downs. And from a betting perspective, it's going to be really hard to pinpoint how reliable and when do trust those certain teams and I've continued just to look at this entire division as a whole and as much as it would pay me to do it is fading a team like our home state Milwaukee Brewers who have been minus money now for some time there's a pretty realistic case to be made now if you haven't done it it's certainly less profitable than than it would have been even just a few weeks ago but if you were to put say a unit on every single team not named the Milwaukee Brewers to win that division there was a time where it was what Cardinals were five to one you had the Reds in the double digit range, Pirates were in the eight to ten to one range, and the Cubs were six to one. And those numbers have come way down, largely because of this crazy win streak from the Reds, who were down to plus 425. But I argued a couple of weeks ago, Greg, couldn't have blamed anybody. It would have made some sense to throw a unit on the other four teams and just see what happened. You'd feel pretty good just by a raw fate of Milwaukee, feeling like somebody else would go ahead and win that division. And I still feel the same today. It's just a matter of who do you trust? You don't feel comfortable blanketing the rest of the division who do you feel like is a good team to pinpoint? And I still don't think we have the answer. That's why my suggestion originally was, hey, just bet everybody else and play this fade Milwaukee game, and I still think that is the best way to do it.
2: Yeah, I am right there with you. We are both gentlemen from the great state of Wisconsin, Ben, and just what do you make out of this Brewers team because with the struggles of really the top flight pitching staff, because we were expecting Brian Woodruff to be electric for this team, and it's not really his fault. He just flat out got injured at the beginning of the year, but that hurts them. Corbin Burns has just really struggled. And I think the biggest thing with him has just been command in general. That has been a little bit shocking to take a look at. But with the Brewers, you knew that the offense was going to struggle. I thought it was going to be a little bit better, but that's not necessarily a surprise. I think the bigger surprise is the top flight arms. Oh, you're,
4: you're totally right. And it's ironic that in a division like we're talking about, all these younger teams and the Brewers are especially in that same vein when it comes to their offensive lineup. But Pitching wise, we're relying on these super old guys who are definitely past their primes, and yet, weirdly enough, and I know we'll talk about this because Julio Tehran starts on the Wednesday game against Arizona, but it's sort of it's just bizarre to watch how a guy like Wade Miley, who just came back and shut out Pittsburgh over the weekend, and then Julio Tehran, who's had the sub two ERA since he came back, I don't know how they're doing it. The numbers say it is about to crash back to earth for both of those guys, and I think that's the most worrisome part, where you're being supported at the moment. By a couple of pitchers who you did not think whatsoever would be in this role right now, and Julio Tehran wasn't even on the team until May. And he wasn't in the of big league guys, last year. I know he was. He was totally done. So that's the biggest concern when you're relying on guys like that. And the advanced numbers say time to sell off before the inevitable crash happens that's the biggest worrisome part to me because Corbin Burns gives up what, six runs in the first inning on Monday night against Arizona. He's looked very inconsistent. He's not getting the same swing and miss stuff, and that's been a clear concern. Brendan Woodruff, we keep waiting for him to come back, but this is seemingly more and more of a lost season. Freddie Peralta is having some of the same issues as Burns. The swing and miss stuff just is not as there, not there to the degree we've been expecting, and so it ends up being Tehran, Miley, Colin Rea, who, another pitcher who Somehow has gotten enough soft contact to get by, but every time you kind of feel like you're walking on eggshells, every time he takes them out, you just expect an implosion to come. And it's not a guy who has been very highly regarded as far as the betting market either. So, that to me is the big issue, Greg. And it's 60% of your rotation that are guys you look at and you go, oh, regression. Okay, regression, definite regression. That's uh, just not a good starting point. And you couple it with a shaky lineup. And it's why the Brewers are as inconsistent and as maddening to bet as they are right now.
2: Yeah, it's been very, very suspect with the Milwaukee Brewers to say the least, as we do have our good friend Ben Wilson of Visa joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Show. And you mentioned with Julio Terran. Currently, we're finding the ears of the Diamondbacks between about minus 135 to minus 145 favorites. And if you can get the Diamondbacks still at right around a minus 135, I think that you've got some really good value. And not that I think that Julio Turan is going to get just trucked for like eight runs or anything like that, but he's going up against Zach Allen, who I recognize Zach Allen has been a far better at home than he has been on the road. But trying to trust in someone like Julio Turan to hang with Zach Allen for five plus innings. I think is a really big ask. And even if Julio Tehran continues this, the Brewers haven't necessarily won a lot of his starts just because when Julio Teran is pitched well, the Brewers have not provided him with any run support whatsoever. That's the maddening
4: thing, right? A guy you wouldn't have expected anything from. And he's been amazing, 178 ERA, and yet only has two wins in his five starts so far and two losses. So, I think for people, too, that wonder, okay, well, is it just, are we saying regression just because he's old and didn't pitch in the major leagues all of last year? And it's not that. We talk a lot of the events analytics, Greg, but this is a case where it is four blinking red lights in your dashboard saying, please, whatever you do, do not bet on this guy because <laughs> right now his batting average on balls in play is 220. You expect that to be more in the 285 range. That's around league average. His strand rate is at 87%. Yeah, you expect league average to be around 70 Maybe 75 if, if you're having a good season. And then the home run to fly ball rate is under 8%, which is just not sustainable whatsoever. You expect that to be in a low double-digit range. So there is basically every single statistical category you could ever look at is telling you that there's been very, very high variance on the lucky side for Tehran so far. And I'll give him this. He's not walking, guys. He's, he's at least making teams beat him, not walking anybody so far, under a, a walk and a half per nine. But I look at all those numbers, and then when you watch him just with the eye test, it's like, okay, guys – average fastball velocity is under 90. It's not like he's <laughs> trying to do like, his best at Greg Maddox impersonation. And he's not somebody with a track record that would tell you that's really a possibility. So totally with you on that and seeing some of those offshore books right now, 135 overnight and some of the, the rest of country or Nevada books already going up to minus 145 is probably a sign but that, that number will continue to climb against Tehran for Wednesday.
2: I agree with you. And let's take a look at this pitcher that is going to be going for another one of those NL Central teams. Now We don't know who he's going to be going up against. For the Colorado Rockies, it depends upon whether or not Kyle Freeland is back from his virus slash little stomach bug, what have you. But it's going to be the Reds against the Colorado Rockies for this Wednesday. And Andrew Abbott gets a start. And Andrew Abbott has been absolutely amazing for the Reds now. I don't think he's going to quite continue what he's been able to do. For our good friend, Mr. Abbott, he has made three starts and he has given up as many runs as the two of us. So
1: clearly there's <laughs> there's
2: there's no way you can't have regression because there's no way that this is going to continue. You either continue to give up zero runs or you have regression. But that said, I've been incredibly impressed by him. Kid that I remember was pitching for Virginia a few years ago at the College Baseball World Series, something I know that you're well versed in. How do you take a look at, Abbott because obviously no numbers is currently up on this game just moving forward and the Reds itself because if I'm looking at a team to beat in the NL Central and I took a position on this team at 14 to 1 I think right now it's the Cincinnati Reds.
4: I don't don't blame you at all for looking at that as a team to buy in on especially because unlike say the Brewers who started the year with so many youngsters it, it kind of feels like some of them not have hit a wall so to speak but have gone through those their first ruts of a long big league season and where Whereas on the flip side, you have the Reds with all these new guys that are coming up midseason, right? They've come in with confidence. They've played really well at the AA and AAA level. And so it's a little bit more fresh right now. You're going to get the swoon and the struggles at some point. And I imagine Abbott's going to have that because he's not really striking out guys. He's walking almost as many as he's striking out. The thing in general is you have these prospects that are so highly regarded, clearly from the small sample size, have what it takes to be legitimate, impactful players at the big league level and also aren't going to have to deal with the potential full 162 game grind of a major league season, just a different learning curve. And we're seeing that with, with some of the youngsters from Milwaukee. And so I don't blame you at all for taking that position. As far as Abbott goes, I just want to see better command out of him. And sometimes when you're young, and there's not a, a huge scouting report on you, especially at the big league level, it's almost like you can be effectively wild at times. And I get that sense from him early. And when you walk in you know, nine and 17 and two thirds innings and you're stranding runners all over the place to the degree of a perfect strand rate right now because he hasn't given up a run. That's something he's going to have to learn to deal with because you learn pretty quickly in the major league. You just don't get away with runners on base at all times, nibbling, trying to pitch on the corners. And so usually you see guys learn the hard way right away. What I'm kind of fascinated at, at, Greg, is a guy like Andrew Rabbit who has not had to learn the hard way. He's been able to be on the right side of variance so far. But one of these starts, it is going to come crashing down to earth. I don't know if it'll be against a Colorado team that has been very inconsistent away from home. And if it's not a game at Coors Field, it's hard to have a lot of trust in in backing them. But that's what I look at for Abbott. I do like the the general profile and the stuff he has. It's just he's got to develop it to the point where he doesn't feel like he has to nibble all the time. And that's the biggest thing you see with especially these high-level college pitchers coming up who get thrust right away only a, a couple years removed from the draft. And that's what I'm seeing with Abbott right now.
2: Yep, with Andrew Abbott, I do think that there's a ton of upside in. To your point, the walk rate is a bit concerning, and not out about it, I don't think that he's going to have another start where he gives up zero runs. That would be something quite incredible if he does, but I do like the overall look of the Cincinnati Reds team, and I do like the overall outlook on this card for Wednesday. We've talked about a few teams for the NL Central that are going to be playing on Wednesday Ben, is there anything else that you're taking a look at? Whether there is maybe another one of those games involving the NL Central games, or maybe it's something else on the card that really just catches your eye in general.
4: Sure, I'll stick in the NL Central as long as you're talking about it because Rich Hill is a pitcher who has weirdly fascinated me this year, and bizarrely for him, he's actually stayed healthy this year, which he hasn't really done for a couple seasons. And you know, the numbers aren't great. He's a four thirty one ERA, and the the peripherals suggest. That's about it. There's really nothing that stands out in the profile that would say, okay, this is a guy you should really you, know, you should rely on or you should fade just wholeheartedly. But I'm interested to see how he projects against uh, a a Cubs team that against lefties this year. And it's that that Cubs Pirates matchup. It's basically a pick 'em for Wednesday and an eight and a half total. You have Kyle Hendricks who's coming off injury in his own right and has been very shaky, just in very limited action so far. And then in Rich Hill, but very deep like fantasy leagues, I've I've had uh, interest in stock in Rich Hill and. I've just found him from a streaming standpoint, a guy like if you're in DFS lineups is a cheap option, not a bad guy to look at. I'm fascinated to see how the Cubs, can they continue this this dominance against lefties? Because they're a top six in WRC plus on the season against lefties this season. It seems like Hill, like you either get a guy in Hill who's missing a ton of bats and he's got the great curveball command Ori comes out and it's just sort of flat and you don't really get much of anything. So it's not necessarily a game that stands out to me just from the betting side because I, I look at it and I go, okay, like this is probably a fair number. But it is a pitcher who has three straight quality starts when he's able to at least find a strike zone. He had six walks his last time out against Milwaukee and I guess was technically a inning short of a quality start there. But if he's locating, it's one of those in-game angles I want to look for because I don't know how you feel about him, Greg, but he's one of, the, one of these pitchers in Rich Hill where – When you see his command and how he looks in the first couple innings, it's either a, okay, this is a guy who can go deep. It might be worth looking at like an in-game first five or an in-game team total the other way, or it can blow up so quick and go the opposite way. And there are very few pitchers I think of who have more of an early, either they've got it or they just don't more than what I'm seeing out of Rich Hill this season. I'm curious your thoughts on that, but that's the picture I want to look at. And we'll be watching closely for an in-game angle on Wednesday.
2: And I think the other pitcher is very interesting as well. The professor Kyle Hendricks has given up one home run in 28 innings this year and is getting five strikeouts for nine innings. I feel like this is going to be going northward. And Ben, both of us being Milwaukee Brewers fans, we both know this. The professor Kyle Hendricks is always at his best when the wind is blowing in at Wrigley Field. And then when he hits the road, typically it could be doomsday as both of these offenses have been rough, and I think there might be a little bit of angle here on the Pirates. I'm not sure if you agree slash disagree, but I do think regression is coming for Hendricks.
4: I'm with you, and that's why I, I'm just curious in this number, too, because the only thing scaring me is just how good the Cubs' bats have been against lefties this year. But that's the thing. I want, If Hill is locating early, and let's just say, this is what we always recommend for the in-game angles, like you want to be actually watching the game, so... If we come out, let's just say first time through the order. You know, Hendricks has given up a lot of hard contact. Maybe the balls are right at people, or maybe Pittsburgh is stranding guys. And if Hill's command is on, if he's if he's not walking, guys, and if that curve has really good bite to it, because he's a guy who's had some games where you look at his last three outings, at least a K per inning, essentially, in all of them. If the command is there and he's able to locate, and he hasn't faced the Cubs yet this season either, that is an, a situation, Greg, Wright would take a piece of, of Pittsburgh in-game. I just don't want to do a pregame simply because if Hill is – At all not there with the angles and with the bite on that curve. It could be a long day at the office for him. And this could be a total that just flies over and you have no idea who's going to win. But I, I totally see where you're coming from on the Pittsburgh side.
2: I think that that is going to be a very fascinating game between a pair of teams that have flailed since the beginning of the month of May because it is the NL Central. Both of these teams are right in the race. And a man that is smack dab taking a look at a little bit of everything in the sports landscape is you, Ben. You do an incredible job when it comes to college baseball, when it comes to the Major League Baseball season. You've been doing a great job all year long on that front. I know you're doing incredible work getting set for football as well, and I know that you do some indoor football as well. So let the good people know what's all on tap for you and how people are able to follow along on social media and other platforms.
4: Yeah, appreciate you as always, Greg, at Ben underscore Wilson underscore one, and we are winding down the uh, SE indoor football league season. I have just three broadcasts left. So focusing a lot right now on the college baseball betting as well as the MLB and then the old indoor football stuff as well. So excited for that and continuing to watch, seeing if this NL Central, it's going to be comedic regardless of what happens just for the amount of struggle going on between all five teams. But hopefully we get some more positivity and things to get excited about here over the next couple months.
2: Oh, it is a struggle bus out there in the National League Central, but One thing we never struggle with is getting good insight from you, Ben. Ben Wilson does amazing work here at v He does an incredible job with all of his play-by-play work at every single time he joins this podcast. lends tremendous insights, much like today. So a big thanks to Ben for joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Show, now part of the v Family Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast to give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MLB Wednesday as we catch them all.
0: Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off, grand slam, or a base hit to center field. Terms and conditions apply. Breaking down every game every day in Major League Baseball. This oh. is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson.
2: And hey, we're back here, lovely Las Vegas, for the baseball betting show with myself, Greg Peterson, now a part of the Visa Family podcast. It is always a pleasure to be joined by Ben Wilson. He does amazing work here at Vison does an incredible job as a play-by-play broadcaster as well. Whether that be college basketball, college baseball, indoor football... Chief League basketball, you name it, he does it, and every single time he joins this podcast, he lends tremendous insights, much like today. So, big thanks to Ben for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast to give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this Mob Wednesday as we touch them all.
0: If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all.
2: Do note that, as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed, at June underscore 81. We are going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. This is where we go with the National League games first, then the American League games. Any interleague games, those are going to be at the bottom. That'll keep things nice, neat, clean, and easy. So without further ado, let's dive in, and this is going to be the DK Nation right up pick actually. 901-902 on the betting board. It is the Chicago Cubs, and they red with the Free Cigab against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Rich Hill goes for the Buckos, and the Professor and Kyle Hendricks is on the bump for the Cubs. This is a pick game. Both of these teams are anywhere between minus 104 to minus 110, and the total on this game is 8.5. The under is minus 115, and the over is minus 105, and right-up pick is actually going to be on the Pittsburgh Pirates money line. I was talking about this a little bit with our good friend Ben Wilson. I do think that regression very due in for our good friend and professor Kyle Hendricks. 286 ERA. He is making his sixth start of the year, but I do have my question marks with him as he's been getting five strikeouts per nine innings and has allowed one home run in 28 and a third innings. He's given up at least one home run per nine innings. And every year since the beginning of the 2016 season, he's been very lucky on balls and play with opponents hitting sub 250 with that regard as well, and you've got a Cubs team that is 27th in the league in terms of runs per game backing them up since the beginning of the month of May. Now, you do have plenty of guys that are getting on base for the Chicago Cubs. If you take a look at their starting lineup yesterday, hitters 1 through 8 all entered into the day hitting at least a two forty-eight. So you've got plenty of guys that are able to get on base like Cody Bellinger, Ian Apsley, Suzuki, Dansby Swanson, they're all hitting between about a 255 to as high as a 270. Some like a Nico Horner is hitting a 280, but now you're without Patrick Wisdom. That was your main home run hitter. That means that Christopher Morrell, who entered into yesterday with 13 home runs, really the lone guy that has been able to give you north of seven bombs this far this season. Meanwhile, the Pirates, they sort of fall into that same factor as you've got Jack Swinitski who's been able to give you 15 home runs. He is healthy. He has provided about a 350 on base. Jason DeLay has been relatively solid at the catcher spot, though. We know this with the Pittsburgh Pirates, they are making some roster moves as well as they just called up Henry Davis, the former number one overall pick to the big league level. That should be able to give them a little bit of a boost. Rodolfo Castro has been relatively solid at being able to move line. Andrew McCutcheon has been able to give you about a 275 average with a little bit of power as well. And though both of these teams, they both rank in the bottom eight in terms of bullpenning reign. For the Pirates, it's been a little bit more rough recently. They do have Jose Hernandez, Dory Morita Johan Ramirez, David Benar. Four guys with at least 19 appearances with all providing a three ERA or less. And the Cubs just don't have that. With the Cubs, Michael Fomer has been absolutely terrible for the team. Julian Merriweather has picked it up. He and Amber Alzaleigh both being able to supply a sub-3 ERA has been halfway decent, but I do have my question marks there, and I do think that Rich Hill is starting to find it. He's been able to deliver three very good starts here in the month of June, posting up overall for the month. An ERA that overs right around a two eighty nine. He's still getting about eight and a half strikeouts. Per nine innings has been giving up a little bit more contact than you'd like. You'd like to see the walks go down a tad, about 3.2 to 3.3 walks per nine innings. But all in all, has been able to hold down the four 5-plus strikeouts in four out of his last five starts. So he is getting swings and misses. And I do think that that regression with Kyle Hendricks, it is inevitable. This has been a Cubs team that has just been struggling all year long to be able to really... Supply a lot of power. They've been able to move the line, but the power numbers have been lacking, and this is a Cubs team that entered into yesterday, just 14 and 21 on the road. So, my DK Nation write up pick it is going to be on the money line of the Pittsburgh Pirates. And I do think that with. Two aging pitchers because Rich Hill, he is the oldest active starting pitcher in the big leagues. Both bullpens lacking a little bit that you are going to be able to get some runs. I did somebody tell told in 9.1. Going to be taking a look at the over. My DK Nation write-up pick as on the Pirates' money line. 9-3, 9-4 on the betting board. It is the Colorado Rockies that throw the facing off against the Cincinnati Reds. Yes, we are in the Cincinnati. Andrew Abbott gets the start for the Reds, and it is to be determined for the Rockies. It all depends upon whether or not Kyle Freeland is able to go after the stomach bug that He acquired clears up or not, so this is a game that is off the board. I am assuming that we do get Kyle Freeland in this spot, and if we don't, it would probably be a Rockies bullpen game, and this would be a number that... The Reds will be going up north of a minus 190 on. But against Kyle Freeland, I said Abbott has a minus 168 favorite, so one delay to lay up to a minus 167 there. Personally, I'd probably be taking more of a look at the line, run line, trying to get a plus 110 or greater. Laying run and half with the Reds. We need at least a plus 169 on the Rockies with a total of 9.3. 9 or less, looking at the over 9.5 or higher to the under... Talked about this as well with Ben. The fact that you do have Andrew Abbott who is giving up quite a few walks. Nine walks in 17 and two-thirds innings. But I really like the way that he's been able to perform. For those that watched College World Series a few years ago, Andrew Abbott was very rock solid for that Virginia team. And he's done it against okay competition. The Brewers, the Houston Astros, and the St. Louis Cardinals, they're big names that have not necessarily delivered as much at the plate this far this season, but all in all, I like this kid's repertoire. I do think that he's doing a very good job of being able to induce some soft contact and Goes up against someone in Kyle Freeland who's really had his struggles on the road this year. 592 road area compared to a 319 LBRA. Not going to go as in-depth on Freeland because there is a chance that he might not be able to go. And if Freeland goes, but it's reported that maybe he's experiencing some ill effects, I might set this number a little bit more demonstrative towards the Reds as well. And for the Rockies, they always have big-time home and road splits. Actually, the Boston Red Sox have the biggest in the lead league, but... With that said, the Rockies, it's still very dramatic. You have only one player that's been able to give this team north of eight home runs thus far this season. That would be Ryan McMahon. It's been terrific. 3.55 on base, 12 home runs. That has been rock solid. But the injuries to C.J. Crone along Chris Bryant have really been hurting this team as these were expected to be good matchers for this bunch. Guys are able to move the line, they just haven't gotten that. Now, Randall Gritchick, Elias Diaz, pair of guys hitting north of a 290 entering it yesterday. That's good. And for the Rockies, I mean, the home and road splits are so bad. It's not as bad as it was a year or two ago. Last year, this team was averaging three runs per game. And it's not to say that they're right around like 3.7 or so runs per game thus far this season on the road. has been amazing or anything like that. But it hasn't been as terrible. And for the Rockies, once again, this was a team that was dead last in the league in terms of opening year last year. Are they lighting the world on fire at 25th? No, but... When you pitch half of your games at Coors Field, it's honestly not the world's worst thing as you've got quite a few guys who have been reliable for the team. Justin Lawrence, Daniel Bard, throwing their Brad and Brad Suter, all these guys giving you a sub 3-5 ERA. Meanwhile, for the Cincinnati Reds, I'm very impressed by this bullpen. They're currently number 10 in the big leagues in terms of bullpen ERA as Alexis Diaz has, has been an incredible closer for this team. On top of that, you do have the likes of a Buck Farmer, Alex Young, Lucas Sims giving you a sub 3-5 ERA for the Reds. Not a lot of power with this team, Bottom 5 in the league in terms of home runs. Yeah, had two guys entering into the day with north of eight home runs and just three with more than five home runs. But Jonathan India, Spencer here. they both have 10 home runs. And this team just really does a good job of being able to get on base. Will Benson, India, Steer, TJ Freidel, Matt McClain, all these guys providing at least a 350 on base along with L.A. De La Cruz. And now you've got Joey Votto back in the fold. Do I think that Joey Votto is going to continue to do what he did on Monday? No, but it's a great story for this team. A little bit of veteran leadership that this team, I felt like, needed just trying to be able to chase down a playoff spot. And I do think that the Reds have a nice upper hand here. Assuming it is Freeland against Abbott, I would need at least a plus 169 to take a shot on the Rockies. We'd be willing to lay the run line at a plus 110 or higher with the Reds and 9 or less looking at the over 9.5 or higher to the under. 9-5, 9-6 on the betting board. The Milwaukee Brewers play to the Arizona Diamondbacks. Zach Gallen goes for the stakes. Julio Taran is on the bump for the Brewers. And the total on this game is 8 over and under. Anywhere between minus five to a minus 115. Diamondbacks are between minus 134 to minus 145 favorites. Between plus 122 to a plus 130 is your number on the Brew Crew. If you're looking at that run line of the Snakes, that's saying between plus 115 to a plus 120. I'm going to play it safe on the money line. I set it at a minus 147, but needed at least a plus 118 to be able to divulge on this run line. So... I would rather play it safe here, especially with someone in Zach Gallen who's been a little bit more suspect on the road. Actually, a lot more suspect on the road than he has been at home. This is very dramatic. He's got a home ERA of one. Has won seven out of his eight starts at home this season. 579 road ERA. That is a little bit concerning. Now, on the road, he's still not giving up too much of the deep ball. Just three home runs, given up in 37 at third innings. Really what has hurt him is balls and play going against him, but... Good news for our good friend, Mr. Gallen. He gets to go up against a Milwaukee Brewers lineup that has been... Less than terrific. Now, Christian Yelich is actually providing about a 360 on base. He's been solid and got a lot of guys with between 8 and 12 home runs. Roddy Telez has 12, and then the rest of these guys they have between 8 and 10. William Adamas, Yelich, William Contreras, Joey Weimer, all these guys. Brian Anderson are in that full, but with Anderson, Jesse Winker, Luis Urias, Weimer, Rowdy Telez, all these guys already got 225 or lower. Brewers are in the bottom four in the big leagues. In terms of overall batting average, that has been rough. Meanwhile, you've got an Arizona Diamondbacks team that has done a really good job of moving the line. They provide a little bit more power when they're on the road, with their batting average falling just a shade from when they are at home. But the team finds a way to be able to manufacture runs, whether they are at home or if they are on the road. Fifth in the league in terms of runs per game, and they're at 5.7 runs per game, entering into yesterday's game. Second in the National League, I guess. Corbin Carroll has been amazing for the team. 16 home runs, 19 stolen bases, hitting above a 300. I do think that there's going to be a bit of regression if you look at the advanced numbers on baseball savant. This is evident. You've got Geraldo Perdomo along with Emmanuel Rivera both hitting at 300 or greater. Gabriel Moreno, we're starting to see a little bit of regression with him. So we are seeing a little bit of correction with some of these guys. And I'd like you to tell Marte along with Lourdes both hitting at least a 280. Both have supplied a double-figure amount of homers, but while that regresses, this bullpen has been able to progress. Andrew Chafin, Austin Adams, Scott McGough, Kyle Nelson, all these guys have been able to supply a sub-33 ERA. Now they're getting Joe Mantiply back in the fold as well. And then for the Milwaukee Berth, The uh, trick of trying to get Devin Williams the ball has been rough. Elvis, Piguero, Joe Payams, both of these guys have been able to give you a sub-3-3 ERA, but the likes of Tyler McGill and company have not necessarily been too terrific. Actually, Trevor McGill is. Brother, I believe, is Tyler. So you get the McGills confused, but what I'm not confused about is the fact that Julio Turan, I do think, is doing for regression something else that was mentioned in the last segment by our good friend Ben as for Julio Turan, this guy didn't even pitch in the big leagues last season. He has come back and has been absolutely lights out in five starts. He's went 30 in a third innings, giving up four walks at 30 in a third innings. Credit where credit is due, but not much of a swing and miss, guys. Getting right around six strikeouts right for nine innings. I do think that regression is just completely written on the wall because and you just take a look at the raw numbers, and I mean it does jump out quite a bit. The fielding independent is at three seventy four compared to a buck seventy eight ERA, a two point differential there. So I did set the Diamondbacks at a minus one forty seven. I'm willing to lay it on the money line. I just think that Zach Allen is going to go out there and dominate a Brewers lineup that is less than savory. So I did also set my total at seven point nine. Looking at the under and looking at the snakes on the money line, nine oh seven, nine oh eight on the bank board. The St. Louis Cardinals hit the road to face off against the Washington Nationals. Trevor Williams goes for the Nats. And Miles Michaelis is on the bump for St. Louis. And St. Louis is a favorite of any between minus 158 to minus 170, between plus 143 to plus 150. Your number on Washington, 9 is a total over and under both at minus 110. And I did set my total at an 8.8. Looking at the under with the Nationals. Need at least a plus 151 to be able to take a shot here. Once we get more of the dime lines out here in Las Vegas, that should be able to put me on this Washington Nationals team. And if you are taking a look at the run line of the Cardinals, you're going to be laying a minus 105 to a minus 110. And if I'd be willing to get a run and a half at a minus 105 as well on the Nats, I'm mostly seeing minus 110. If that gets down to more like a minus 105 to a minus 108, that's something else I would be looking at as well. So I anticipate this in Nationals play, just need the juice to be realigned a little bit towards the overnight timeline, and with Trevor Williams, he's been able to do a steady job. He's not been able to be amazing or anything like that, and the deep ball has certainly been hurting them. For Trevor Williams, he is giving up right around 1.7 home runs per nine innings, 14 bombs in 70 innings thus far this campaign. That's not too terrific, but you know what? He's doing a good job of being able to keep the walks down. He's got about a 450 R.A., home and road splits are very equal. So I do think that he's going to continue to just go out there. He'll probably give up his home run or two, but all about just not walking guys, containing those the solo shots. And I do think that he's going to be able to do that. I guess the St. Louis Cardinals lineup that credit where credit is due going into yesterday. This was a lineup that was beginning to erupt at least five runs scored in four out of their last five games, but All-in-all for the season, they are only generating about 4 to 4.1 runs per contest. You have seen Nolan Arenado get hot. He and Nolan Corman, 15 home runs apiece. But Corman, he entered into yesterday having not had a home run in his last 10 or so games. Paul Goldschmidt continues to move the line for this team. And Jordan Walker, why he was sent down to the minor leagues, I have no idea. But good to see him back in the full. But you have had some struggles in the outfield from the likes of Alec Burleson and company. Meanwhile, when it comes to the Washington Nationals, They do a good job of being able to get on base. This team is 7th in the league in terms of batting average, and they strike out the fewest amount of times per game of any team in the league. Problem is, they just don't have any power. The only guy that's able to give them a double-figure amount of homers it's Lane Thomas. It says, Thomas, Joey Menezes, yermo Vargas, Victor Robles. These are all guys hitting at least a 2.85 for this punt. Luis Garcia has moved the line, but they don't draw a lot of walks for one. And for two, outside of Lane Thomas, you really don't have a lot of power. On top of that, for the Washington Nationals, it has been less than terrific for this bullpen. You do have Hunter Harvey and Carl Ritt, Jr., a pair of guys that have been able to supply sub-3-5 ERA. Like likes of Thaddeus Ward and Company have not been too terrific, but for the St. Louis Cardinals, Ryan Helsley, their main closer is currently out of the so, I mean, it's a very milk toast bullpen when it comes to St. Louis Cardinals. You've got Genesis Cabrera's out rocking right around a 5 ERA, but darn near everyone is hovering right around about a 3-5 to a 4-5 ERA. There's nobody truly trustworthy, and there's nobody truly fade-worthy. They entered into yesterday right around 19th of the league in terms of bullpen ERA. So it does make it a little bit tricky with that regard. And for Miles Michaelis, he just got completely banged around like a pinata his first three or so starts of the season. Ever since then, he has been sporting an ERA that's hovering right around 3. He has been able to do a nice job of keeping the ball the yard giving up one home run and 1.9 walks for 9 innings. Not much of a swing and miss guy, but against this lineup, he wasn't going to be getting a lot of swings and misses to start with. I do think that it's not going to be too bad of a spot for Miles Michaelis, but at the same time, I think that Trevor Williams holds down the fort against the St. Louis Cardinals team that has been all over the place in darn near every category of baseball this season and is without their main closer. So, at a plus 150 or greater, I'm going to be willing to take a look at the Washington Nationals on the money line. Somebody told it at 8.8. So here at the 9, also looking at the under. 909, 910 on the betting board. It is the Atlanta Braves. They throw out the face against the Philadelphia Phillies as Aaron Nola goes for the Phillies and A.J. Smith-Schwaver goes for Atlanta and Atlanta is anywhere between a pick'em to plus 106. Meanwhile, you're finding the Phillies between minus 114 to a minus 129 is the total. The under is minus 115, over is minus 105. For the Phillies, I did set them at a minus 124. I'm going to be willing to lay it, despite the fact that Aaron Nola has been less than terrific thus far this season, a 466 ERA. The advanced numbers indicate that there should be some positivity coming for Aaron Nola. It's really been 2 prong with Aaron Nola. For one, the strikeout numbers are down. He's getting closer to about 8.3, 8.4 strikeouts per nine innings thus far this season, though it has been ticking upward in recent starts. And for two, he is giving up a right around 1.4 home runs per nine innings, but still, He's got a fielding dependent that's about a half a point lower than his actual ERA. He's been just very up and down every single time. It looks like he's turning it around like he had no hit against the Detroit Tigers. The next time around, he does get shelled. And for A.J. Smith-Schwaver, this is going to be his third career start. First two starts were very good, going a combined 11 innings and giving up five total runs, but only three of which were earned against the Nationals and the Rockies. But let's call it what it is. That's a very, very... Comfortable and a very easy start from. Now he goes up against a Philly team that they are lacking a little bit of power outside of Kyle Schwarber. Kyle Schwarber, 20 home runs. He has been incredible. You don't have a single other guy with more than eight, but they do a good job of just being able to hit for average. This is a Philly team that they do rank towards the top of the league with that regard now. They are 17th in the league due to the fact that you don't have other power bats. Something like a Bryce Harper hitting three home runs at 150 plus at Bats to begin the season. That's a little bit rough. You do like the 390 on base, but you expect a little bit more there. You've got a lot of guys hitting between. We're going to call it about a 240 to 255. Brandon March, Mondo Sosa, Cody Clemens, Trey Turner. And Trey Turner has really had his struggles this far this season, but all in all, I do think that he is going to be able to pick it up. Meanwhile, for the Atlanta Braves, you do have a ton of guys that are able to just bang for this seam as you currently have seven different guys with at least 11 home runs. Austin Riley, after a slow start to the season, is getting it going. Marcel Ozuna is hitting well above a 300 over the last 35 days. Matt Olson is up to 20 home runs with a 350 on base. Ronald Acuna Jr., Sean Murphy, 385 plus on base. Both have 12-plus home runs. This is a very fearsome lineup, and for the Braves, they are number nine in the big leagues in terms of bullpen ERA, but they're dealing with an ailment to Jesse Chavez. He's currently out of the fold. Kirby Yates has been able to do a relatively okay job for this team. He was awesome when he was with the Padres like five or so years ago. He's had a little bit of a but he's starting to rebound. Rossio Iglesias was a little bit rough coming off the injured list, but he's been able to come along for the ride. And when it comes to the Atlanta Braves team, I do think that for Smith-Schwaver, Schwaber, is going to be a little bit rough. I think that there's going to be negative regression, but I do think that the bullpen is going to be able to do an okay job from there. But, You do have a brave team that they always put up runs. I do think that Aaron Knoll is going to be able to give a little bit of a better start here as well. But I think that it's just inevitable that he gives up runs against the Atlanta Braves. But I do think that the rest of the Braves outside of Kyle Schwarber gets that power started to get going. So I did set my total 9.4. Looking at the over in the spot with the Phillies. Willing to lay up to a minus 123 on this money line. So we'll take them on the short price. 9 11 9, 12 on the betting board. N'Zee Slam Diego Padres. They throw at the facing off against the San Francisco Giants. Hugh Darvish goes for the Padres. It's to be determined for the Giants, but this is most likely going to be a poo-poo platter bullpen game, so this game is off the board, but I've got my numbers. I set the Padres at a minus 127, and I made my total in at 8.4, And they less going to be looking at the over 8.5 or higher to the under. Now, taking a look at Yu Darvish, he's always had demonstrative home and road splits since he's gotten to San Diego, and this year has been a rough year for him. Now, you do want to take that Mexico City start out of the full where he gave up three home runs. You take that out, he's given up less than a home run per nine, and opponents are less than a 235 off of him. He's really been unlucky this year. He's got a 474 ERA. He has pitched significantly better than this. He throughout his career has been able to do a relatively okay job against the San Francisco Giants as well. So I do think that it's going to come to the forefront. His numbers are a little bit warped once again due to that Mexico City start. But all in all, I do think that Yu Darvish is going to be fine. His fielding independent is about .75 points lower than his ERA, and if you take out the Mexico City start, once again, it's going to be even bigger than that. Meanwhile, you do take a look at the Giants' bullpen, and they have just been absolutely lights out as sub-2 ERA over the last 40 days. I mean, these guys have all been able to step up this year. Camilo Duvall becoming one of the best closers in the big leagues. Luke Jackson... Taylor, Tyler Rogers, Ryan Walker. You just go down the list of guys supplying a sub-3 ERA. This was a very sorry group at the beginning part of the year, but you feel like you're in very good hands with them. It is hope you don't see a lot of Shamanaya because he's been the big albatross for this team, but a Giants bullpen game is something that I do have a little bit of faith in. And for the Giants, it's been very interesting to watch them home and road because with the Giants, they very much rely upon platoon home runs. Gabe Kavler has done a very good job of be able to map this out, but just hitting home runs in Oracle Park is very difficult no matter who you are. It's a big reason why the San Francisco Giants are leading the National League in runs per game on the road with nearly 5.8. And they get about 4.3 at home. You see a big fall off with that regard. Then again, their ERA, it obviously is significantly better at home as well. But you've got J.D. Davis, Mike Ustremski, Theryo Estrada, Lamonte Wade Jr., all with between 9 and 10 home runs. Really, everyone aside from Ustjumsky providing at least a 341 on base with weight, providing a 415 on base. Main matcher has been Michael Conforto, who's been stuck on twelve home runs for quite a while. But this team is very balanced as they've got pretty much nine different guys who'll be able to give you at least seven home runs thus far this season. Meanwhile, for the Padres, this team continues it right around two hundred with men in scoring position. I keep saying it, and I swear by it. This is going to be going northward at some point. It is impossible for them to continue at 200 with men in scoring position, but the question is when. It could be tomorrow. It could be next week. It could be in September. And that's the ending part of this. You do have Juan Soto, Juan Fernando Tatis Jr., combined 27 home runs, both of these guys have done their part with Soto. North of a forearm base, Satis hitting north of a 300 over the last three days. He has been absolutely terrific. It's the rest of these schlubs that need to pick it up. Brunando Dora has actually been one of your okay hitters. Hitting about a 229. A Machado says coming out the injured list. Hitting darn near a 300. Awesome, Kim. He's been able to get his average up to about a 250. And it's running walks, 340 on base, but when you've got the likes of Brandon Dixon, along with Trent Grisham, every one of their catchers, Matt Carpenter, all these guys hitting a 210 or lower. It's just absolutely deplorable for this bunch, and I do think that the San Francisco Giants are going to be able to get to Yu Darvish a little bit. And- I think that there's just inevitable regression with this Giants bullpen as well. I do favor you, Darvish, a little bit in this spot. So, one to lay up to a minus 126 on the Padres in Darvish versus bullpen game, plus 120 or higher, looking at the Giants with a 12 of 8.48 or less, looking at the over 8 or higher to the under. 913, 914 on the betting board. It is the Baltimore Orioles. They throw to the freezing off against the Tampa Bay Rays. Taj Bradley goes for the Rays, and Tyler Wells hopes a pitch. Wells for Baltimore, and Baltimore is an underdog between plus-130 and plus-135. And between minus-142 to minus-155, your number on the Rays. 8 is the total. Overs minus-120, the under is even. I'm seeing it straight 8.5, under is minus-120, and the over is even. And the Rays run line is at a plus-135. I set the Rays. Minus 153 on the money line. Was willing to take a plus 128 or higher on that run line, and I'm going to be willing to rock with that run line because with the Tampa Bay Rays, with the way that their offense is set up, they are able to win a lot of games by multiple runs. You've got a... Quartet of guys in Yandy Diaz, along with Randy Rosarena, Isak Paredes, Jose Siri. Actually, a five-fold of guys with Luke Rayleigh as well, all between 12 and 13 home runs, with everyone aside from Siri hitting at least a two fifty-nine and providing at least a three forty-six on base. These guys have been absolutely incredible. They've got someone like a Wander Franco, three fifty on base, eight bombs. This is just such a fearsome lineup, and for the Baltimore Orioles, they are currently dealing with a ailment to their main home run in Ryan Castle, but they have been able to do a good job of just being able to move the line, being able to do the little things, and not really having that weak link in the lineup. This is a Baltimore Orioles bunch that is currently averaging right around 5.3 runs per game on the road. That is in the top three in the American League, and they're doing it without necessarily that one fearsome bat. You just have... Adelie Rushman, Anthony Santander, Gunnar Henderson, all providing at least 10 home runs. Rushman 385 on base. Henderson, he has been hitting well above a 300 over the last 30 days. And then you've got Cedric Mullins or E Mateo. Combined 33 stolen bases entering into yesterday. Austin awesome the say his kid is hitting a 320. Ryan O'Hearn is hitting nearly a 350 as well. A little bit of a small sample size there, but all in all they've been able to do a solid job. What has me a little bit concerned about the Orioles is that even though their bullpen area is right around 6th in the lake, it is a very top-heavy bullpen. Danny Columbia has been able to give you a sub-3 ERA. And then you've got Junior Cano and Felix Batista. This might be the best duo in a bullpen I've perhaps ever seen. Both of these guys have a sub-buck-20 ERA thus far this season with Cano, a 0.99 entering into yesterday. But then when you get past that, Mike Bauman has right around a 4 ERA. Keegan Aiken could be untrustworthy. CNL Perez has not been too terrific. And for the Tampa Bay Rays, bullpen certainly has had its warts to say the least and, and got used up a little bit more than expected with Tyler Gladstone giving up six runs in the first two innings of the game yesterday. But you do have likes of... Pete Fairbanks, Colin Boucher, Jason Adam, who have all been able to give you a sub three ERA. Jake Feekman has a three ERA since coming over to the team as well. They've been able to do a good job of mixing and matching even though overall for the season. It has been a little bit rough for them. And I do take a look at Taj Bradley. It has been a little bit up and down for him. He has had a few rough starts, but I really like what this kid is supplying. He doesn't give up a lot of walks and he gets a lot of strikeouts. For Taj Bradley, he's got an ERA of a 419, but a 268 fielding independent, giving a plus a home run per nine innings. Three walks to 13.2 strikeouts per 99s. I do think that he is going to pitch better than Mr. Wells, who he's actually been the American League leader in terms of whip among qualifying starters throughout much of the season, but he does give up the deep ball with our good friend Mr. Wells, about 1.75 home runs. Per nine innings, that is a big concern. He currently has a 320 ERA, but a 444 fielding independent. As a result, and he's been able to kick up his strike on numbers. Nine strikeouts per nine innings doesn't necessarily give up a lot of walks, but I do think that the regression bubble, it is a coming, and I do think that the Rays are going to be able to jump all over him, be able to crank out a few deep balls. So this is a circumstance where I'm going to be taking a look at the Rays on the run line. Need at least a plus 130 there, and in regards to the total, I did set it at an 8.3. So here in an 8, looking at the over and looking at that run line of the Tampa Bay Rays. 9-15, 16 on the bang board. You can't see Royals to throw it face-off against the Detroit Tigers. Matthew Boyd, goes for the Tigres, Brady Singer is hoping to have the Tigers singing the blues. Meanwhile, the total, it is any between 8.5 and, and 9. On the 8.5, the over is minus 115. The under is minus 105. On the 9, the under is minus 120, and the over is even. When it comes to Detroit, finding them any between minus 120 to minus 130 favorites between plus 110 to plus 115. Your number on Kansas City. I set the Royals at a plus 131. I was willing to lay up to a minus 130 on Matthew Boyd, and I recognize that Matthew Boyd has not been terrific at home. He's rocking an ERA as right around 8. The home run numbers have been very concerning, about 1.3 home runs per 9 innings surrendered. And bigger than that, he's also giving up 3.5 walks per 9 innings. Matthew Boyd, just one of those guys that we have talked of for a very long time and has not really been able to deliver. But I do think that Matthew Boyd is going to be able to do an okay job in this spot. And the Tigers are actually 3-2 and two In his last five starts and overall for the season they've got a winning record when Matthew Boyd goes out there despite the 560 ERA and for Brady Singer. I do think there might be a little bit of positivity in his future as well because with Brady Singer, the 633 ERA is absolutely deplorable and a lot of this has to do with walks. Last year he was very good because he had gotten his walks per 9 rate down to a 2.1. That's up to a 3.6 this season. He's got a fielding independent of a 447. He's given up about 1.2 home runs per 9 innings. His strikeout numbers down a little bit from last year but it's It's not anything super major last year. He was getting nearly nine strikeouts per nine innings. He's hovering more around about 8.4 this season, but the big thing for the Royals is that they just don't get on base. They're in the bottom five of the big leagues in terms of on-base percentage. You've got a couple guys that have been able to do a solid job for the team. Salvador Perez hitting about a 270. He's been able to supply 14 home runs. Bobby Wood Jr. to his credit, hitting now about a 250, 22 bases basis with 12 home runs himself, but Vinny Pascantino has been stuck on nine home runs for seemingly an eon at this point, and then you've got the likes of MJ Melendez, Freddie Furman, along with Drew Waters, Nate Eden, Jackie Bradley Jr., Michael Massey, all hitting a two twenty or lower. They had a DFA, Hunter Dozier, Framio Reyes. That was an experiment that didn't work, so that's not too terrific now. It's not to say that the Detroit Tigers have necessarily been lighting the world on fire themselves. They don't have a single guy with a double-figure amount of homers going into Monday. As Jason Rogers, he's been able to give you nine home runs thus far this season. that they've got their dead bats as well, the likes of Eric Oz. When he's been out there, Jake Marizek, Rogers, Nick Maton, throwing their Jonathan Scope, all these guys hitting a 2:30 or lower. But Matt Veerling has been able to breathe a little bit of life into the team, along with Kerry Carpenter. Carpenter, since coming out the of list, has been hitting well above a 300. Veerling hitting a 350 ever since he was brought back to the big league level as well. So these guys have been a little bit solid for the Tigers, a big reason why we have seen a little bit of a sway with their offense recently. And for the Tigers... They do support Boyd with the far better bullpen. This is a Tigers team that is in the top half of the big leagues in terms of bullpen ERA. The Royals they're in the bottom three. While well, the Royals have Taylor Clark along with Roll Desham and a pair of guys that are giving you a sub three ERA. They also do have the likes of Austin Cox along with. Nick Whitgren, guys like this that uh, have been far from terrific. Trey Wingenter, I believe, is the name that I'm looking for as well. They just have not been able to give you anything whatsoever. Meanwhile, for the Detroit Tigers, you've got the likes of Tyler Holton, Jason Foley, Alex Lang, Jose C. Sereno. I'll give you a sub-3.5 ERA. I know that you've also been able to get some good innings out of Will Vest as well. I do think that things are going to be a little bit more rosy for Brady Singer moving forward, but you're looking at two very bad offenses, but you're looking at a Royals bullpen that, in my opinion, is also very untrustworthy. So this is a circumstance where I'm going to be willing to trust in the Tigers on the money line. Did set them at a minus 131. Did set my total at an 8.3 as well. I think that both of these pitchers do him for some positive regression. So looking at the under on 8.5 slash 9, and I'm looking at the Tigers on the money line. 917, 918 on the bidding board. The Seattle Mariners are on the road facing off against the New York Yankees. Johnny Brito goes for the Yankees and Luis Castillo is on the bump for Seattle. Only book I'm seeing with an opener is Drive Kings. We're seeing a plus 155 on the Yankees. Minus 180 on Seattle with a total of 7.5, over and under both at minus 110. This disrespect for the Yankees has gone a little bit too far, and the Yankees have stunk without Aaron Judge. With Aaron Judge in the fold, when he had came back in early May, they were leading the league in home runs from the time he had gotten back until the time that he had gotten re-injured against the LA Dodgers, and they were in the top three in terms of runs per game. Ever since then, it has went down just the complete and utter tubes, but... Even with this, the Seattle Mariners aren't hitting a whole heck of a lot better. At minus 180 on the road just feels a little bit off base here on Luis Casio, who's been good. Luis Casio's been very good. He's giving up one home run per nine innings, two and a half walks per nine innings, six strikeouts per nine innings. Re- that is north of 10 and a half. He is a rock-solid pitcher, but he also has a 203 home ERA compared to a 403 road ERA. And he is going up against someone in Johnny Brito that... I recognize that when he has been at the big league level, he has had his struggles, and uh, ironically enough, all of his struggles seem to be coming against the Minnesota Twins. I have no idea how. I have no idea why, because the Twins have been far from terrific this year, but I don't anticipate Johnny Brito being a guy that is going to be looking to fill north of five innings. I think that the Yankees have really learned their lesson, as he has given up four-plus runs in three of the last four appearances that he's made, actually giving up approximately four runs in three out of those four as well. But with the Yankees... They also do back him up with a bullpen that ranks number one in the big leagues. Clay Holmes, he is back in full force. He, along with Wandi Peralta, Michael King, Albert Abreu, all these guys, giving you a sub-3-3 area Has been terrific for this bunch. And then you do have a Seattle Mariners team that they rank in the top ten in terms of bullpen array as well. They get Andres Munoz back in the fold. That's big. Penn Murphy, someone that was a big part of what they did last year, is still currently out of the fold. But the likes of... Gabe Speyer, Tyler Sosito, Trevor Gott, DeLon Justin Topa have all been able to give you a sub 3-4 ERA. Now Trevor Gott is now landing on the injured list as well. That's been a little bit rough, but for the Seattle Manors, I just don't see how they're demonstratively better than the New York Yankees in terms of their lineup. You've got Tasker Hernandez, Julio Rodriguez, Jared Kelnick. All between 11 and 12 home runs entering into yesterday, but Ty France is the only guy that's really given this team other than J.P. Crawford. North of a, I would say, about 3.30-ish on base. Jose Calabreo has been able to give you a little bit as well, but surprisingly, he hasn't been getting a ton of at-bats as this far this season. He's got about a 2.36 average with about a 3.85 on base and- Got a lot of guys that they're just not holding up their end of the bargain. And Eugenio Suarez would be doing a little bit better if he didn't get robbed of that Grand Slam, but it is what it is. He, along with Colton Wong, A.J. Pollock, Taylor Trammell, Dylan Moore, who is just getting back in the fold, Mike Ford, all these guys, give you 215 or lower. That's been rough now. For the New York Yankees, to the credit of Isaiah kinnear he hasn't been as sorry recently, but DJ LeMayu has really been struggling this year, hitting a sub-240, not giving you a lot of power whatsoever. You do have Gleyber Torres, Anthony Rizzo, with the combined 23 home runs entering in yesterday, but Rizzo has really not been the same since that tie-up that we saw between he and Fernando Tatis Jr. Harrison Bader, when he's been out there, has been solid, but trying to keep Harrison Bader out there has been a little bit of an issue as well, and then you do have the likes of the entirety of the catcher spot, shout-out to Kyle Gashioka hitting a little bit better, but it's been a a little bit of a struggle there. And then Giancarlo Stanton, Anthony Volpe, Josh Johnson, Franchi Cordero, Eswaldo Cabrera, Eswaldo Peraza. So you're just able to go down the list. So you've got a pair of very brutal lineups out there, which is why I did some, I told it, at some point four. I do think that Johnny Brito, not necessarily too trustworthy, but I don't think that he's going to be out there overly long, which will mitigate the damage. I do think that the Yankees can do just enough to, against Luis Castillo to make this... Number a little bit profitable. I'm willing to take a plus 155 or higher on the Yankees. So at this current number, looking at the Yankees' money line, something told at 7.4, so here a 7.5. Despite the fact that it is Yankee Stadium, going to be taking a look at the under. 919, 920 on the betting board. It is the Cleveland Guardians, and they play us to the Oakland A's, as Paul Blackburn walks the plank for Oakland, and you got the MLB debut of Gavin Williams. And... With the Guardians currently only finding them at DraftKings with a number up, and it is minus 170 on the Guardians, plus 145 on the Oakland A's with a total of 8.5. The over is minus 120, and the under is even. And this kid in Gavin Williams has been very good in the farm system of the Cleveland Guardians, and I feel like he's been a little bit under the radar when it comes to just a lot of these national prospecting rankings, things of that nature, because he has been awesome this year in the double A level and the triple A level. Across both levels and out of his 12 starts, nine have come at the triple A level. He's posting up at 239 ERA. He's getting 12 strikeouts and he's giving up only five hits per nine innings. He does give up a few walks, right around three and a half walks per nine innings. That's up from in past years and that's up from when he was over at East Carolina as well, which if you look on the landscape of college baseball, they're a relatively solid program. But I do think that he's gonna do a solid job against an Oakland A's team that's going kind of what it is. This is essentially the worst offense in the big leagues. Now, with the Oakland A's, they also do a better job of hitting on the road than they do at home. That's just because their ballpark in general is so pitcher friendly that it's not even funny. That's the bigger reason why they hit right around about a 208 at home compared to a 238 entering into yesterday on the road. And you do have guys for the Oakland A's moving the line. So, like, Jace Peterson is actually hitting about a 350 in terms of zone base on the road with a 280 average. Brent Rooker, similar numbers. So, Rooker has been able to supply nine home runs on the road this far this season. Ryan Noda about a 455 on base on the but even with this, you still have guys like Elamendi Diaz, Tony Kemp, Shea Langoliers, Kevin Smith, Nick Allen that are hitting a 2.15 or lower when they are on the road. Now for the Cleveland Guardians, been a complete power outage for the team this year. Last year, they were second worst in the big leagues in terms of home runs per game. This year, they are dead last with Two guys currently supplying north of six home runs. Josh Naylor has been terrific recently, hitting for about a 290 with eight home runs. And about Jose Ramirez the way that he's been able to turn it on going into yesterday over the last three days? He had been hitting for about a 290, but over the last 15 days, five home runs with a 388. So he's been able to turn it on a little bit recently. But what the Guardians need is to just consistently get on base a little bit more. And the Guardians offense has been quite rough at home to say the least as for the Cleveland Guardians, they're averaging the fewest runs per game at home of any team really in the big leagues aside from the Oakland A's. That's the big reason why Amid Rosario, Lond, Andre, Jimenez, both of these guys are hitting below 255 after they they were hitting north of a 270 last season. Oscar Gonzalez was a big part of that team last season. He has not been with the big league club in quite some time, so has not been helping them out as well, but you've been able to get a little bit more out of Will Brandon when he has been in the fold as well. Meanwhile, for the Oakland A's, this is a bullpen that has actually improved recently with Richard Lovelady, Sammy Long, Sam Maul being able to supply a sub for ERA, but it's still rough. They're still dead last in the big leagues in terms of bullpen area. If you look over the last three days, it's a bit more respectable. 16th in the league, but the Cleveland Guardians, they continue to be dominant. Number one in the American League in terms of bullpen area over the last three days. Number two in the league overall this season. They've been dealing with a little bit of an ailment to James Karanchek, but I mean even with Karinchek out of the fold, that doesn't affect this bullpen. As a matter of fact, he had really been one of the worst pieces for the as It's been the likes of Zaydeon Curry, Eli Morgan, Nick Sandlin, Sam Hentiches, that have all been able to supply a sub-320 ERA and get the ball to Emmanuel Clause. I do think that the young gun and Mr. Williams is going to be able to do a relatively solid job in this spot. Hold down the forward A. I I do think that he actually outduels Paul Blackburn. Paul Blackburn, I recognize was an all-star last year, but he was all over the place. Has never really been a trustworthy guy for being able to get swings and misses as well. For Blackburn, this is start number five of the campaign. He's actually been way up with regards to his strikeout numbers this far this year. Ten strikeouts per nine innings. I don't think that it's going to be long lasting though. He enters having given up eight runs over the course of his last three starts. Was just able to get a bunch of strikeouts against the Tampa Bay Rays in his last start, and I do think that regression is going to be setting in for Paul Blackburn. I do think that he gets back more to the numbers that we've seen. And past years on him last year at had a 4.28 ERA for his career. 497 ERA and posting up fewer than six half strikeouts per nine innings. So I do think that water finds its level with the Guardians. I was willing to make them up to a minus 125 on this run line currently. We're finding that at a plus 130 at Drive Kings, more of like a plus 120 at Circa. Sign me up for that plus price on the run line. Did something my told it at 8.9 as I do think that the Guardians are going to be able to get something going against Blackburn. So also taking a look at the total over 921, 922 on the betting board. The Boston Red Sox hit the red face off against the Minnesota Twins as Sonny Gray goes for the Twins and. Got Garrett Woodlock on the bump for Boston. Boston is an underdog of anywhere between plus 110 to a plus 115. Meanwhile, in between minus 120 to a minus 130 is your number on Minnesota. 8 to 8.5 is the total on the 8.5. Under is minus 120. The over is even on the 8. Over is minus 120. And that under is even money. And with Garrett Woodlock, I set them as a plus 149 underdog. Sonny Gray did lose a little bit of command in his last start, but for Sonny Gray, he's done an incredible job of being able to reduce hard contact all season long, giving up just one home run across his starts this year. That's a grand total of 14 starts there, kids. He's got a 2.56 fielding independent compared to a 2.37 ERA. Does need to cut down on those walks once again. Three and a half walks per nine innings, but swing and miss stuff has been rock solid as well. He has been able to get right in the neighborhood about nine and a half straight cuts per nine innings. I do like what I'm seeing there, and he's backed up by one of the better bullpens that you are going to find in the big leagues. The Minnesota Twins, they're currently clocking in eighth in the league in terms of bullpenning right now. Giovanni Morin has not been too terrific in this bullpen, but you've got Brock Stewart along with Johan Duran, Both of these guys have been able to give you a sub-250 ERA. Amiolio Pagan is all over the place, and you don't want to be trusting in him too much, but he's been a little bit better recently as well. And then for the Boston Red Sox, they're currently number 12 in the big leagues in terms of bullpen ERA, but got out there someone like Ikela Bort that's got north of a 5 ERA. Justin Garza, someone like Brandon Bernardino. Got to wonder how long they're going to be able to maintain their sub-3, 5 ERAs. Got my question marks there. I like Chris Martin, but... Kenley Jansen could sometimes be a little bit less than trustworthy. And for Garrett Woodlock, he just, in my opinion, should be one of those long relievers in the bullpen. For Woodlock, coming off of a relatively solid start where he allowed just two runs and seven innings against the Colorado Rockies, but he does have some interesting home and road splits, and for Whitlock, you just take a look at the way that he doesn't get a lot of swings and misses. That is very concerning in this spot as well. For Whitlock, seven and a half strikeouts per nine innings, feeling independent of a 420 compared to a 438 ERA, so not too terrible there, but a 531 road ERA with all six of the home runs that he has rendered across their eight nine innings as far this season coming on the road, and for the Boston Red Sox, they've got the most demonstrative home and road splits that you are going to to find in the big leagues and that's even bigger than that of the Colorado Rock he says for the Boston Red Sox at home 5.9 runs per game that is number two in the big leagues 4.2 runs per game on the road that is a bottom 10 mark in the big leagues in terms of on base percentage of batting average The team is in the top two in both of those categories at home, this far this season. On the road, a precipitous falloff. A 307 on base compared to a 360 at home. That is a bottom 10 mark in the big leagues. Meanwhile, for the Minnesota Twins, their on base percentage climbs by about 20 points when they're at home. We'll get into that in a second, but you've got so many guys for the Red Sox, like Justin Turner, like Kike Hernandez, Jaron Duran, that they just completely fall straight down the toilet bowl when they're on the road compared to when they are at home. And it's a little bit of a top heavy lineup in terms of power. Raphael Devers, 15 home runs as far this season. Justin Turner has 10. And then you've got really nobody else as north of 8. Meanwhile, for the Minnesota Twins, it has been an adventure for the team on offense. You've got Joey Gallo, Byron Bucks, and Michael A. Taylor, all with between 10 and 11 home runs as far this season. But. None of these guys are hanging above a 226. Gal is the only guy with the worth of a 310 on base. and you've got all those guys along, with Carlos Correa, Max Kepler, all hanging at 220 or lower. You just expect more of them now. You are getting much more out of Royce Lewis along with Alex Kerlof. Kerlof 385 on base. He's able to provide a little bit of pop. Lewis not necessarily a power hitter at this point in his career, but is able to do a good job getting on base. He and Donovan Solano hit about a 280. I do think that they are going to be able to get to Whitlock in this spot. I do think that Sonny Gray. Going to be able to lock it down a little bit more with regards to his command. So has an ERA that's hovering right around 2 when he is at home. So I am well trust in the Twins in this spot. Set them at a minus 149 on the money line. I did set my tell it at 8.3. Now, I've got available to me both an 8 and an 8.5. In this spot, I'd be looking at an 8.5 under rather than an 8 over just because of those home and road splits with Boston. A little bit of wait and see mode to see what is a little bit more prevalent and what I'm able to get better juice on. But if I had an option, I'd rather have an 8.5 under rather than an 8 over to go along with this money line on the Twins. 923-924 on the main board. The Texas Rangers hit the road face off against the Chicago White Sox. Michael Kopech goes for the Sox. Marty Perez is on the bump for Texas. Texas is back to being a favorite between minus 108 to minus 115. Anywhere between... Even money at a minus 105. Your number on the uh, Shy Sox. Your total on this game is 9. Over is minus 122 to a minus 125. Under is between. Even a plus 105. With Perez, I did set him as a minus 122 favorite. So I'm willing to go with him now. With Martin Perez. He's got a 6-3 and three record, but this is another one of those cases where the record doesn't tell the full story as Perez is now giving up north of three blocks per nine innings. And the biggest thing with Perez, he is so vastly different home to road. 171 ERA at home with one home run given up in 31 and two-thirds innings on the road. He's giving up 2.2 home runs per nine innings, and he is supplying a 650 ERA. That is less than terrific. But with Michael Kopech, you take a look at his advanced numbers, and they aren't necessarily so terrific either. A 3.92 ERA, and ever since really the beginning of the month of May, because he had an absolutely brutal month of April, he's really been able to pick it up in terms of the raw runs allowed and what have you. But if you look at the underlying numbers... 5.31, 5.31, and is is his fielding independent? He's giving up four and a half walks per nine innings. Got credit is too. He's getting punch outs. So he's been able to get right around 10.3 strikeouts per nine innings. But I do have our concerns with Mr. Kopech, who has given up 10 home runs of 44 two thirds innings at home thus far this season, and nice he's to go up against the Texas Rangers team, that's currently number one in the big leagues in terms of just total runs scored, and for the Texas Rangers, just on any given night, nine out of their 10. Hitters in that lineup are hitting above a 270. It's just absolutely rampant. You've got Corey Seager, who's currently hitting about a 360 with 10 home runs at 165 at-bath. bats. is wild. And then you've got the likes of Jonah High, Marcus Simeon, Nate Lowe, all being able to hit at least a 270 for this month. Travis Jankowski provides a 380 on base. You've got Josh Young, Adolis Garcia, both with 15 home runs apiece. Marcus Simeon is supplying 10 home runs. There is just not a... Break in that lineup. Meanwhile, for the Chicago White Sox, this team is in the bottom three in the big leagues in terms of on base percentage, and it's not because the batting average is necessarily that bad. You've got guys that are able to get on base for this team. Tim Anderson is hitting about at 250 with Andrew Vaughn, along Gavin Sheets, Shake Berger, they're all in that 240 range, which isn't great, but it's not terrible. You've got Luis Robert, Yasmani Grandal, Andrew Benatendi, hitting in that pocket about 260 to a 274. but aside from Andrew Benatendi, and it's 343 on base, you don't have a single guy that has seen at least 20 at-bats this season, providing at least a 321 on base. Now, you do have Luis Robert providing 18-ohm runs, Jake Berger with 16, but that's a little bit of a concern. And for the White Sox, they are in the top 10 in the big leagues in terms of bullpen array over the last three days, but overall for the season. Bottom half of the big leagues with this regard, they had to put Liam Hendricks on the injury. That's not necessarily so great. Garrett Crochet was someone that they were relying upon as well. He's back on the injured list, and when these two guys were on the injured list, this was one of the worst bullpens in the big leagues. Now they've had to trot out there their, their schlub and Jimmy Lambert again. He and Ronaldo Lopez north of a five ERA. You've got Joe Kelly. Who I don't understand how he's still on a big league roster, but he's less than trustworthy. You've got Gregory Santos, Keenan Milton have been relatively solid, but now that's about it. Meanwhile, for the Texas Rangers, this has been a bottom ten team in terms of bullpen ERA as well. But now you're getting Joe Barlow back in the fold as the <laughs> cat I think that he's going to be able to provide a little bit of life as he, Will Smith, Josh Aboris Boris have all been able to give you a sub 3 ERA been able to get some okay innings out of the likes of Jose Leclerc as well so I do think that the Texas Rangers despite the fact that they're trotting out their Martin Perez they've got a little bit of an upper end in this bottom one up to a minus 120 in the spots that the Rangers at a minus 122 and I did something I told at a 9.2 as well looking at the 9 over I'm looking at the money line of the Texas Rangers 925, 926 on the betting board the Miami Marlins play us the Toronto Blue Jays Kevin Gosman goes for the Jays and Cindy Alcantara is on the bump for Miami. Seven is the total. Overs between minus 110 to a minus 125. Unders between minus 110 to a plus one of five. Toronto is between minus 122 to a minus 130 favorite. And we're 110 to a plus 117. Is your number on Miami? I did say Miami. That's a plus 147 underdog. Sandy Alcantara just has not been good this year. I wish I could put it any other way, but we have seen a big giant fall off. Has never necessarily been the Mona Lisa Vito of getting swings and misses. 7.3 strikeouts per nine innings. He's given up 2.7 walks per nine innings. A big reason why he won the Cy Young award last season is because he was durable. He was getting better late in games. That has been the complete opposite this season. you got to wonder if he's paying for all the innings that he filled last season because when he gets through the third and fourth time through the lineup, the batting average first two times through is right around about a 218 to a 219 or so. When it's a third and fourth time through, this climbs north of a 270 and the on-base percentage climbs by just under 100 points. It is very concerning with that regard and for Alcantara and even at home, he's providing about a 463 ERA. Now, you either get all or nothing when it comes to Kevin Gosman because with Kevin Gosman, it has been all over the place with him. He has already had three separate starts in which he has given up six plus earned runs. Past that, he has given up fewer than two earned runs in all but one of his other starts. You take a look at his last five starts. He's allowed zero or one runs in four of them, and then he gives up that six spot against the Minnesota Twins, but the team is 5-0. Oh. Over the course of his last five starts, Kevin Gossman has a fielding independent well below his three, which is his ERA. Strikeouts per nine or eight with Gosman just below 12. He's only giving up about 2.3 to 2.4 walks per nine innings, 0.9 home runs per nine innings. I do have trust in him. And the Blue Jays do provide a little bit of better bullpen and they DFA'd Anthony Bass, that's good news on all fronts. And then Tim Mesa, Eric Swanson, to be able to supply a sub three ERA. Adam Simber has not been great since coming off the injured list, but Jordan Romano, he seems to be finding it once again. And for the Miami Marlins, this bullpen is very average. I think that that's the best way of being able to put it 14th in the lake, going into yesterday in a little bit of a pitcher friendly ballpark. A.J. Puck along J.T. Chargois coming back has been good for the team. You've had the likes of Andrew Nardi, Stephen Okert be able to supply some good innings as well. You do have a few guys like Adele and Flora that are not necessarily too trustworthy, but for the Miami Marlins, it's about getting production from the bottom of the fold when it comes to lineup because you've got Jorge Soler providing those 21 home runs. He has been ripping the cover off the ball, and Luis Arias goes into Tuesday hitting a 400. You do have guys that I mean they're not bad at being able to get on base, like Nick Fortes is hitting a two fifty. You've got Joey Wendell hitting a two forty five. Yuli Uriel about a two sixty. AC Sanchez, he's been in and out of the fold. When he's been up, he's been relatively solid along with Brian De La Cruz, but not a lot of power outside of Soler. Nobody else giving you north of eight home runs, which is why they have been towards the bottom of the National League in terms of runs per game up for the Blue Jays. Right now they're right around fourteenth in the league in terms of home runs per game. You just expected more out of the likes of Flaggero Jr., George Springer, Matt Chapman, all giving you between 9 and 10 home runs as far this season. And, and Guerrero is still providing a 350 on base. Chapman a 340 on base. Boba a 345 on base while being the main home run hitter with right around 14 home runs. what Merrifield is hitting a 300. These guys are getting on base. They're just not getting the big hits that you'd expect. I do think that they could be able to get to Sandy Alcantara on this one as Alcantara. The name brand is good. The actual performance has not been great. Did my tall at 7.3. A 7 itself is just a little bit too low, even though it is a pitcher-friendly ballpark, which is the way that El Contra has performed. I do think that the Blue Jays are going to start to perform a little bit more on offense. So looking at the over, and with the Jays, going to be one to lay this money line, set them at a minus 147, 927, 928 on the betting board. The New York Mets, a third face-off against the Houston Astros. Christian Avier goes for the Strohs, and Tyler McGill goes for the Mets. The Mets are an underdog of any between plus 130 and plus 140. Anywhere between minus 145 to minus 155 is your number on Eason. in is the total. The overs between minus 110 to a minus 120. The under any anywhere between even a minus 110? Did somebody total at an 8.1. Looking at the under now with the Mets going into yesterday. Four plus runs in all but two of the games that Pete Alonso has missed. It's been just a very stark to say the least. Now you get him back in the fold, and I do not know how the game for Tuesday panned out as of the time of this podcast, but watch it be a big giant flopper Rooney. But that said, with Pete Alonso, 22 home runs but he's been out there, he has been the best masher in the National League thus far this season. That's very beneficial for the team. But I do think that there's going to be a little bit of regression with this lineup because even with Alonso back, he doesn't hit for the world's greatest average. As he, Eduardo Escobar, Francisco Alvarez, Francisco Lindor, these are all guys and get 235 or lower. Granted, the on base with a lot of these guys have been pretty rock solid, especially Pete Alonso, and then you do have Tommy fans, Starling Marte, guys that really struggled towards the beginning part of the season hitting above 255, but I do think that we are going to see that come back to earth, even though Brandon Nimmo has been good at the leadoff spot and for you soon. Boy, oh boy, could they use Yardon Alvarez back in the fold. It has went completely down the tubes for them. Jose Abreu, to his credit, he's been able to give the team three home runs over the last 14 days, but you just take a look at this Astros lineup. They were able to put up that seventh spot in a game against the Cincinnati Reds, but this is a bunch that they entered into yesterday with three runs or fewer in four of their last five games. It has been an almighty struggle. They were able to get a few runs when they played against the Washington Nationals, but past that, been a little bit of tough sledding. You do have Mauricio Dubon being a bit about a 290 for this bunch, and Jose Altuve has been able to get back into the swing of things as well. He's got a non-base percentage north of a three fifty, and I will say, Yanir Diaz, the young catcher for this team, has been able to do a solid job when he's been out there. Getting home run every about 18 at-bats, hitting about a two seventy five. so got a little bit of something there, but I did say Christian Javier as a big favorite because I do think that he is going to be able to go out there and shut down this Metropolitan's lineup as I've really liked the way that Christian Javier has been able to roll all season long. One of his big kryptonites last season was walks. He was giving up a little bit north of three walks per nine innings he has really been able to uh, minimize that. He's been giving up more around 2.1 to 2.2 walks per 9 innings. Swing and best stuff is down. He was getting a little bit north of 11 punch outs per 9 innings last year. That's down to 8.5 this year, but and he's still been able to keep the ball in the yard, giving up one home run per 9 innings. And he goes up against someone in McGill who just has not performed on the road. At home, Tyler McGill has been good. 279 ERA. 4-1 record on the road. 742 ERA with his home runs per 9 rate over doubling on the road. So that's less than terrific and he's not backed up by a good bullpen. David Robertson has been able to do a solid job for the team. You've been able to get about a 3 ERA on Brooks Raley as well, but when you get into the likes of Dominic Leone, Jeff Brigham, Adam Montefino, these guys posting up north of 4 ERA, that's been rough. Meanwhile, you've got the likes of Brian DeBrayu, Phil Maton, Ector Neris giving you a sub-3-3 three, three ERA for this Houston Astros bullpen. It's been a little bit of an adventure for the likes of Ryan Stamick, Rafael Montero not necessarily been too terrific, but I do think that the Astros have the far better bullpen, and they've got the far better starter in this spot against Apex of offenses that I think are gonna struggle moving forward. Some I told it at 8.1, looking at the under when it comes to Houston, you're getting the run line right around about a plus one thirty to a plus one thirty five. Needed at least a plus price in this one. So going to be taking a look at the run line of the Houston Astros. And I'm going to be taking a look at this little under. We wrap things up with 929, 930 on the main board. This is a game that's off the board as the Angels, they do playoffs to the LA Dodgers. Shohei Otani is going to be going for the Angels and good old to be determined. It's on the bump for the Dodgers. There's speculation that they're going to try to get Michael Grove back up to make this start. And if it is Michael Grove, I'm setting the Angels in that pocket about a minus 168 favorite and, I'd be willing to lay a run and a half with them if I was able to get a plus 115 or higher on that front. Now with Shohei Otani, he has had his struggles in terms of giving up walks as a pitcher thus far this season. And that is a little bit of a kryptonite, about 3.7 walks per nine innings. But getting north of 11.5 strikeouts per nine innings, opponents are earning seventy-eight off of him. And he's been better at home than he has been on the road. 403, Roderick. 266 ERA at home, mainly because he does a good job of containing the deep ball at home. On the road, he's giving up north of two home runs per nine innings. At home, four home runs given up in 44 innings. That's more like .8 home runs per nine innings. If you do get Michael Grove, he's given up in 80 ERA, and he's backed up by a bullpen that is deplorable. The Dodgers are currently in the bottom six of the big leagues in terms of bullpen ERA. They have picked up Ryan Brazier, which... Oh, boy, that's really going to do something for you. But, I mean, man, other than Victor Gonzov's Broussard grad roll, it has been rough for this team. And if you do get a bullpen game for the Dodgers, this probably goes north of minus 180 on the Angels, which I can't believe I'd be setting a plus 180 price on the Dodgers, but it feels like we might be going into that territory. Now, the one thing that the Dodgers have going for them, regardless of who pitches, is that this team is able to pound the tar on the ball. Now, they're actually below average when it comes to their batting average on the road, but they're generating about 1.7 home runs per game, when they are on the road. This is an L.A. Dodgers team that has been able to give you 5.4 runs per contest. That is number four in the big leagues. Freddie Freeman has been terrific getting at 325, 13 home runs. They've got Max Muncy, J.D. Martinez, Mookie Betts all between 16 and 18 home runs. Muncy is on the injured list, but you've got Metz along with Martinez both in between about a 255 to a 265 with their home runs. You've got Will Smith getting jiggy with it. North of a four-arm base, double figure amount of homers, so locked and loaded there. But you know who's the hottest hitter on the face of planet Earth right now? Oh yeah, the pitcher in this game in Shoya Otani who's right now leading the league with 24 home runs had a streak of 8 home runs in 9 games a little bit earlier in the week. Mike Trout has been doing a solid job as well. 365 on base, 15 home runs, Hunter Renfro, Brandon Drury. They're giving you 12 home runs and a lot of these home runs are not solo shots because someone like a Gio Urshela has been able to get on Bay. Sitting for about a 300 now. He's back on the injury list. That's a little bit rough, but you cut your spot. Ted Wallach, Matt Theus, both of these guys have been solid for the injured Rhino Hoppy, Mickey Moniak has been able to a 300. And for the Angels, they actually don't stink with their bullpen this year. They're in the top seven. There's a bullpen ERA to be able to get good innings out of Chris Savinsky, Carlos Aceves, and Bachman. I'll give you sub three ERA and Aceves. It's actually been halfway trustworthy when it comes to being a closer for the team. Aaron Loop. He's not necessarily been so great, but you know what? The Angels have been a bit better with their bullpen. So, if it it is Otani against Michael Grove. I'd be setting the Angels at a minus one sixty eight, would need at least plus one sixty nine to take a shot in the Dodgers. And after less, we'll be looking at the over nine or higher to the under. If it's a Dodgers bullpen game, this probably goes north of minus 180, probably would still stick with that total, but would depend upon sort of the nature of that bullpen game. So check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at GUNIT underscore 81 for that. And that's where you're able to fire in a question, comment, segment, idea, what have you for this podcast, if you have it. Or if you have a Twitter question at GUNIT underscore 81 on Twitter, we've got you guys all covered there. A big thanks to our good friend Ben Wilson over at VEASAN. He joined me in segment number two. I'm coming at you guys every single day on the Baseball Betting Show, much like I did today. And we'll do that with you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.
0: From BBC Radio 4, Britain's
3: biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh, my God, we've summoned something from this board.